What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization including one generation away. America is free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. As you think, so you become. Our busy minds are forever jumping to conclusions, manufacturing and interpreting signs that aren't there. So noted the Greek philosopher Epictetus. And it seems this particular epitaph applies all too well to the burgeoning 2024 political race. Welcome back to Liberty Nation Radio, heard coast to coast on the Radio America Network. I'm your host, Mark Angelides. On this week's show, the 2024 top-tier candidates list is far from settled, and there could be dark horses gaining place on the pack leaders. The economy once again faces the reality of Bidenomics, and does X mark the spot for a free speech revival? We'll be discussing all this and a whole lot more on today's special edition of Liberty Nation Radio. Remember, this show is proudly sponsored by LibertyNation.com, where you can access podcasts, breaking news, analysis, and a range of biting and brilliant shows to whet your appetite for freedom and your fondness for the great American Constitution. Let's get started. All eyes are on a rematch between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. But is there a non-candidate candidate that Republicans have been overlooking? Well, we're joined today by longtime host of this here radio show and Liberty Nation's senior political analyst, Mr. Tim Donner, to examine just that question. Welcome back to the show, Tim. Nice to be here, Mark. So, Tim, most people reckon on a Trump-Biden rematch. That's the the received wisdom at the moment, assuming uh, Donald Trump isn't behind bars. And even then, uh, I'd say that with the magic of technology. (laughs) I still no guarantee he won't be the nominee or even the president. Very true. Um, And Ron DeSantis, uh, basically the second in line, according to the polls for the Republican nomination, he seems to have scuppered his own campaign. Uh, which could still recover, but at at present it's looking a bit shaky. Now, you think, according to an article you wrote on the page of LibertyNation.com, which is well worth a read, that somebody else might enter the race, given the correct circumstances. Well, that's a big if, though, because the man we're talking about is someone who, if you start it from scratch and you said Trump is out of the picture, He retired, wasn't running. And you ask people today, who would you select from the remainder of Republican candidates and potential candidates? I think at this point, more and more, the answer would be the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. Now, Youngkin is amiable. Uh, He's relatable. He is yet very firm in his convictions. He has turned Virginia from dangerously blue for Mm. Republicans to, you know, a pretty deep shade of purple 
Uh, he's flipped the state house there and hopes to flip the state Senate. Uh, and here's the most interesting thing about Youngkin now. It's just one state because he's not a declared candidate. So there's not a lot of polling on how he would run um, against other Republicans and against Biden. But in Virginia, in a poll done by Virginia Commonwealth University, uh, Trump unsurprisingly would lose to Biden in Virginia as he has lost Virginia the last two elections. And they weren't close. Trump is not popular at all in Virginia. But if Youngkin was the candidate, he would beat Biden by 14 points. Now, that is to some degree a referendum on his governorship, but that's fine, too. Uh, But this is one state which until pretty recently was considered a swing state uh, that Youngkin, I think, clearly would care. He is someone who is so acceptable to so many people across the Republican conservative landscape that I think everybody agrees he'd be a winner. And well, that's what a mega donor uh, who was quoted on Fox News said he, that he could beat Trump. He could beat anybody. At the same time, Glenn Young can can say to himself, why should I run now against the 100 pound gorilla that is Trump, who takes all the oxygen out of the room when I could just wait for years and have a clear field whether Trump wins or not. He's out in yeah. 2028 for sure. So why should he sully himself and go head to head with Trump, who's certain to low bridge? Right. Yeah. I mean, that that 14 percent margin, that's that's just insane. I mean, that's well outside of the margin of error. Yeah. And for Virginia, I mean, that that's that's got to be causing consternation. Well, let's put it this way. Virginia, Virginia is the only state in the country uh, that permits uh, a governor to serve only one mm. consecutive term, yeah. right? In other words, one term. Now, Terry McAuliffe was governor, then he was out and he tried to come back. Young can beat him. And he ran a flawless race. Mark, I tell you, I've been watching politics for 60 years and I've never seen, especially a rookie candidate like Glenn Youngkin run a flawless campaign. He literally made zero mistakes. And so it's his competence as a politician, too, that is extremely attractive. And let's face it, at this point, everybody's asking, what if with Trump, he's got three indictments, another one likely coming from Georgia, and the possibility of it being prosecuted or even being behind bars is real enough for Republicans to now strongly consider who they would want as a replacement. And Ron DeSantis so far hasn't cut it, just fired his Mm -hmm. campaign manager, reassigned him, I should say. Uh, But his campaign has done nothing but drop uh, since he was basically tied with Trump five months ago. Yeah, I mean, it it seems odd that there really has been so little speculation about Youngkin's possible attempt at the White House, especially considering, as you say, the the performance he gave to win back Virginia that's been trending so blue in in recent years. 
Do you think it's maybe there's a bit of the, the Harry Potter syndrome going on in the legacy media? It's like, um, don't speak his name because it'll only make him more powerful. Do, do you think that's what, what's happening? Why nobody's talking about what a well, threat he could be? Well, because here's the thing. He is such a deft politician that he sent out clear signals to Donald Trump that anything that would appear to be a campaign appearance is merely for him to use as a platform uh, to showcase himself as a potential vice president. And others he's saying, don't worry, Donald, I'm not running against you, but I will make myself available as a potential running mate. And all of this is evidenced by a big fundraiser he had in the Hamptons, you know, the Shishi Resort that the rich and famous summer in. Uh, and, you know, the returns were very good, but he's being, he is being showcased yeah. in a sort of alternative universe where Trump either can't run or is no longer palatable. And I think he would finish ahead, certainly of almost anyone in that current Republican field, including DeSantis, for sure, the way things are going for him now. Though, as you say, they could turn around. So it's almost like uh, on, on the, the political right, you've got this dark horse, Glenn Youngkin, who has a lot going for him and could be very successful nationwide. Uh, on the left, you've also got Gavin Newsom, who has also said yeah. to his commander-in-chief, uh, well, his party leader, Joe Biden, that he's not going to run against him. And so you've got these two very capable politicians. Just in the, in the last 30 seconds, Tim, can you see any possibility of a Yunkin-Newsom attack for 2024? Well, I will say this much. Any doubts that Newsom in particular, but also Yunkin, uh, any doubts that they have presidential aspirations have essentially been eliminated. Mm. And I think both of them are basically looking to 2028 because 2024 seems locked in as much as a majority of the public doesn't want to see either Biden or Trump running again. Yeah, it's a funny world when uh, we're more confident about who's going to be running in 2028 than just next year in That's 2024. <laughs> we'll be back with Tim Donner after this short break discussing the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune besetting the 45th president and what that means for the upcoming debates. Don't go anywhere. freedom and your liberty liberty nation with mark angelides and welcome back to liberty nation radio we're joined once again by liberty nation's senior political analyst and longtime host of this here show mr tim donner now earlier on we talked about the dark horse candidacy of governor glenn youngkin but now i want to switch to the hopes and dreams of former president trump and his quest to become president once more and more specifically what's going to happen in those all-important debates now tim uh trump's in a bit of a sticky wicket isn't he he's uh indictment after indictment uh, and at the time of recording another charge likely coming down from georgia but that hasn't arrived yet uh, but we are expecting it now how does he weather this storm politically and continue campaigning well i think he's going to have to concede the fact 
uh, or maybe magnify the fact that he's going to be spending most of his time at the most or much of his time at the least um, responding to these indictments between hearings, arraignments and actual trials uh, and petitions filed by his lawyer to try and keep delaying things. As it's a, it's sorry as to interrupt him. It's a shame for him that none of the uh, the trials are in New Hampshire, Iowa, all of the the early states. Yeah, that's true. He would he would take um, sure. Or how about how about Virginia? Mm. You know, so we could say Youngkin can't Youngkin can't do any better than me in Virginia. But here's a here's a thing though. It's I mean. He has to weigh, and let's make a point here as evidenced by the Trump TV ads that have been released so far, that he has a very sharp and competent campaign staff this time around. He's much more organized than he was in 2020 because everybody was responding to the pandemic. You know, Um, so he has to decide how to turn his constant stream of legal entanglements between now and election day 2024 into somehow a virtue to make himself a victim among victims Mm. for it to project that the other side will do anything to take him down as no less than someone like doris kearns goodwin the famed left-wing historian said this week look let's Look, I'm paraphrasing her here, but look, it's necessary to do what's necessary, whatever it takes Mm. to make sure Trump does not ascend to the White House again. I mean, that's just saying out loud what everybody already knows (laughs) they're committed to doing. It's like the the communist refrain, isn't it, by any means necessary? It's it's a Stalinist. Mm. um, It's Stalinist justice where it says... Show me the man, I'll show you the crime. Not once or twice or probably even three times, but four times. I mean, they want to really make sure that they seal the deal. But, you know, that begs the question of how exactly he can talk about anything except the fact of his indictments, because you can't think that people whether they're inclined to vote for him or not, are going to want to hear nothing but legal depositions over the next 15 months before the election. So, I mean, to say, Mark, that we're in uncharted territory with a major party nominee under multiple indictments would, I think, be the understatement of the year, if not all of American political history. Almost certainly, it's it's interesting you say that about how the uh, the voting public probably don't want to hear about the indictments and the legal defense strategies, um, and that's I think that's a good reason why Trump is doesn't appear to be willing to go into the the GOP debate primary debates at the moment. And of course, you know when you're in the lead by so much, there's, there's not always a need to. But one thing that will come up is. If he is the no- the eventual nominee, and if Joe Biden is still in the running by then, uh, he'll have to get on a debate stage with Joe Biden. Now, I know that historically several presidents have just not uh, engaged in this, and that might be the case, but it would certainly be a bad look for Joe Biden not to engage in that. Uh, and so I think one of the important questions that 
that needs looking at is what happens if they both take to the debate stage. Uh, last time, the media called it for Biden, naturally, because that's what the, the majority of the legacy media does. But he had all of these good things going for him then. Joe Biden had all of these good things going for him then. Uh, but those don't exist anymore, do they? Well, he had good things by virtue simply of being not named Trump. That was it, right? He was the alternative that could be a return to normalcy, so to speak. He could be the moderate Democrat that he's always claimed to be, even though he hasn't been, especially lately. But now you've got a reality, you've got a record, and you've got some of the ammunition a lot that he used in 2020 to defend himself against the Hunter Biden affair. Uh, and, you know, the the way his Justice Department has unleashed its fury on Donald Trump. I mean, he's a very different guy now, not to mention that four years of cognitive decline. Look, it's 15 months till the election, and that's a lifetime for someone who is in a, arguably, you know, a state of fairly rapid decline. I mean, I think we can see the difference now, even from when he was first running for office. But look, Trump has a couple of issues here. Yes, he's 40, 50, whatever it is, points ahead. Of someone who's that far ahead rarely agrees to a debate. So from a standpoint of political strategy, it would make sense for Trump to just pass on the idea of this Fox debate on August 23rd. But consider the Trump ego and consider the 45th president sitting in his living room watching Ron DeSantis front and center in a Republican debate. Couldn't that pretty much, it could sink DeSantis, but it could really elevate him as the leading choice if it's not Trump, which, of course, if it's not Trump, appears as a live possibility because of all the indictments, right? So um, I'm not sure that Trump's ego could handle uh, seeing DeSantis as essentially the front runner in a large debate in that center position on the stage. So that's the conundrum that he faces in as far as going against Biden. Look, if Biden doesn't debate, refuses to debate, then there's no question that it's nothing less than an admission that he isn't up to it. And this is from a man who's let's say, whose mental state is very much in question as the oldest American president uh, in history. So I think Trump has a lot of choices to make, both for the primary and for the general election when it comes to debates. Wise words indeed. Tim Donner, thank you ever so much. Always a pleasure, Mark. Man, I thought it was free. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. This is Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides, a production of LibertyNation.com, going after what the politicians really mean and making it all clear for your freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. 
two of the three major credit rating agencies have downgraded the US economy. But according to the White House, what used to matter doesn't matter anymore. So what's happening and how is the Biden administration spinning that which cannot be spun? We're very lucky to be joined by Liberty Nation's economics editor, host of the superb Swamponomics videocast, Mr. Andrew Moran. Thanks for coming in, Andrew. Mike, Mike, I'll tell you something. It doesn't, just because we got a downgrade, it doesn't mean we have a downgrade. That's that, that, uh, some wise words from President Joe Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden just there. Now, let, let's get back to actual Andrew. Now, let's start with the prognosis, Andrew. What are the ratings agencies saying? I believe it's just uh, Moody's and Fitch at the moment. Has Standard & Poor said anything? Uh, no, they're actually, they were the first one to issue the downgrade back in 2011. Okay. And then the guy who issued the downgrade, he said, hey, see, I've been proven wrong. I've been proven correct. I've been vindicated. So, yeah, so S&P, <laughs> perhaps they'll do another one. Who knows? Okay, so what does it mean then that the, uh, the U.S. credit has been downgraded? So pretty much, uh, it just means that the government, uh, the government, tr- U.S. Treasury securities are long-term foreign currency issuing, which is the technical term for it. Uh, just means that its rating has been downgraded by a notch, went from AAA to AA plus. Uh, as it, as you mentioned, our standard importers, they're the ones who in 2011 did the same thing to the U.S. government uh, debt. So, the, so those are two agencies, and then recently Fitch, uh, excuse me, uh, Moody's, they downgraded the banks. So you have a double whammy of U.S. government and then the big banks. Or the, or the banking sector, I should say. So I'm a bit of a, an economics idiot, but a downgrading means that on the world stage, the strength of the various sectors, so here the US government and B, uh, the banking sector, these outside agencies are saying they're not as good as they used to be. That's what a downgrading means, or they're not, they don't have as much confidence in the ability of them performing their functions as they used to is that about right yeah i think that's that's a great summary of it so let's let's look at this look let's look at what they said so uh fitch said when it came when it comes to the u.s government that its fiscal deterioration is problematic it's it's, it's general government debt burdens are, are are escalating governance is an issue and then you look at the moody's downgrade they're worried also about how these uh small and mid-sized banks can handle a rising rate environment there's too much debt and then you have too much exposure to the commercial real estate uh, market. So those are the issues that are affecting both the government and the uh, banks. And how does such a downgrade affect the economy? How does that affect American citizens, just regular folks? Yeah, so I wrote that in Liberty Nation. When it comes to the uh, the government downgrade, it's, it's not going to really impact people very much. I mean, the reason the reason why people are, the people are not panicking as much, while the financial markets didn't continue its its sell off, was because it's not going to really matter. The U.S. Treasury markets so, highly the sell offs happening. It's just not getting any worse, right? <laughs> well, well, <laughs> the sell off happened. Well, the sell off happened for a couple of reasons. I mean, do you want do you want to go into the stock market of what? Let's what go back to the original one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the reason why uh, it, it doesn't matter much is because the U.S. Treasury market is highly liquid. There's so there's tr- there's 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 growing demand all over the world for it. You know that's why Treasury Secretary you know she, she was she was upset, but she tried assuring everyone that it doesn't really matter because because everyone's scooping up treasuries. Why do you think the U.S. Treasury Department issued a trillion dollars in the third quarter, or why they're issuing another eight hundred billion dollars in the fourth quarter? So people buy into it. People believe in the u.s government and they believe in you and the u.s bonds just not quite as much as they did uh, a couple of weeks ago so the white house 
tried to blame all this on on Donald Trump, as as you co- coined the phrase, it's the Trump downgrade. Uh, just to reiterate what the White House has been saying, um, and but uh, you, you mentioned one of the things that I think it was Fitch has said that they were concerned about governance. Now Donald Trump's no longer president. So the governance they're talking about is not from 2016 to 2020 or beginning of 2021. It's the governance that's taking place now, right? Yeah. So if you look at the the Fitch report and also what its uh, CEO said in interviews that the the Democrats have gone too far left and the Republicans have gone too far right and there's no middle ground anymore. So that makes it harder to you know come up with these debts and agreements, come up with more fiscal responsible measures. Those are the issues that the analysts have been looking at. Okay. So and so how fair is it of the Biden administration to call this the Trump downgrade. It's it's absurd to play President Trump. He hasn't been in office in what three years now. I mean, yes, I completely agree that he added to the fiscal mess too, but even before the pandemic, by running these uh, these uh, growing the deficits and adding to the national debt. But to blame it on Trump is absurd because the Biden administration, if you look at the twelve month rolling deficit as just an example, it's north of already two trillion dollars. That fiscal responsibility act or the debt deal agreement that's going to add about five trillion dollars national debt by the time that the the agreement is up in January 2025. So it's, it's just, it's it's mind-numbing to me how you can blame a guy who hasn't been in office for a while as opposed to just taking responsibility and saying, yeah, okay, you know, we spent too much. But of course, no no one will ever admit to that that we spent too much when you're when you're holding office. Well, you, you know, you've got to keep spending. You've got to do whatever it takes to achieve whatever goal it happens to be. Now, it, it, seems, to, it seems to me, and I might be wrong here, because as mentioned on pretty much every occasion we talk, I'm not an economist and I don't really understand everything that's taking place but it seems to me that this is the start of something rather than the end of something now that doesn't necessarily mean that i i feel that there's going to be another downgrade but but i suspect it means there are stormy financial times ahead What's your take? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you look at all the numbers in both the public sector and the private sector. You have, you know, uh, we talked offline briefly about the credit card debt hitting a trillion dollars. Mm. Uh, you have annual interest payments that are a trillion dollars. You have the running deficit of $2.2 trillion. You have another $1.6 trillion uh, fiscal deficit for the uh, current fiscal year. You have $32, $33 trillion national debt. All these numbers are, are just – and, and why it's being exacerbated is because of the higher interest rates. Why are interest it's higher because of all the inflation that occurred uh, heading into 20 uh, head, uh, that occurred from the pandemic and post pandemic economy. So all these factors are, are just amassing and it's going to lead to such uh, horrific time financial times ahead because I mean, no matter how much the administration spins, how great Bidenomics is, you look at all the numbers underneath. I, I, I detect great. a note of sarcasm there. Sorry, Andrew. No, no matter how great Bidenomics is. Well, that's what they say. I mean, I mean, that's what Vice President uh, Kamal Harris she cackles and says, "Oh, Bidenomics is working. Bidenomics is working." But it's not. I mean, I, I monitor this data all the time. Manufacturing's in a recession. Consumption levels are easing. Uh, pandemic era savings from low and middle income households have been completely exhausted. So, I mean, really, I mean, the only, the only thing that's propping up this economy, uh, what it seems anyway, is government is government spending because all, all this uh, you know, chips act, chips act, inflation reduction act. Uh, 
the bi- the bipartisan infrastructure law well bipartisan I don't know you can call that bipartisan but anyway all that money is just funneling are subsidizing many sectors of the economy from manufacturing to this whole green energy push healthcare social assistance and I've written previously I, was, I talked about it on my swamp economics TV is that the, the government has been one of the biggest job creators this year adding about three hundred eighty thousand jobs since January isn't that a, a, a bit of a dangerous situation though for the the government to be the number one job creator is essentially creating a, a, a giant behemoth that you essentially you have to keep funding it otherwise real people lose their jobs not just the the the, the dc swamp dwellers but actual people lose their jobs I, i'm reminded of uh, the british national health service where uh, somebody quipped a few decades ago that uh, the, the NHS was in danger of becoming a health service with a government attached to it. And I think we're approaching that now as 50% of government spending is NHS related. Isn't the, the US in danger of becoming that particular beast, a, 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 an employer with a country attached? Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, let's let's use the green energy push as an example of this. A lot of these factories that are being constructed all over the United States, a lot of it is, is billions of dollars of it is subsidized by the federal and state governments, and which is which results in taxpayers having to spend millions of dollars per green energy job. What, ha- what happens when the government shuts off the tap or if the government ever shuts off the tap? Will these plants just shut down? Will they relocate? Are they going to fire workers? So yeah, you, you do have unintended consequences of that. But that that's a question for the politicians who are trying to get elected in that cycle. Andrew Moran, thanks ever so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. For freedom and your liberty. Liberty Nation with Mark Angelides. Elon Musk makes an offer that the suspended, the derailed, and the fired may not be able to refuse, and the back page scandal makes a comeback. And welcome back to yourselves to Liberty Nation Radio. We're talking liberty with Liberty Nation's legal affairs editor, host of the Awesome Uprising podcast, and a Spartan warrior for free speech, Mr. Scott D. Casenza. Welcome back, Scott. Uh, thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate all that. Uh, a, a Spartan without the red cape and no pants, of course. Uh, he is a modern day Spartan. So <laughs> there's a reason why we're shooting me from the uh, the sternum up. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, now let's start with the the back page story. Scott. Now, I remember this from years ago. Why is it still going on? Well, it's still going on because for some reason, the government can't get the prosecution of uh, the Backpage founders out of its blood in spite of the evidence and in spite of their own findings. Um, (laughs) We most recently have a delay now in a trial that was previously delayed because of a mistrial because of government malfeasance. Yeah. The uh, the prosecutors in the case illegally and inappropriately tried to link the uh, the charges to uh, child sex trafficking, which they never were and had never anything to do with. But, of course, that's what raises the ire and scorn of people who are uh, observing, you know, the trial and the charges. And, and so specifically the jurors, which would certainly. be. The- uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, and so the, there was a mistrial uh, declared. Um, years ago when uh, it was first brought to trial. And then most recently, one of the fa- the two founders, uh, uh, James Larkins, um, committed suicide on the eve of trial. It was supposed to go to trial uh, a few days ago, and 
um, because of his suicide, has been delayed until late in August. So Mr. Michael Lacey is the name of the second person who's on trial, and he will now bear the brunt of the government's prosecution in this case. I I would hate to speculate on why somebody would choose to take their own life, but it's certainly notable that they've been fighting this for for many years, and it's on the eve of the new trial that it happened. It could be a decade, uh, Mark, that they've been fighting various charges, perhaps not these specific ones. These are federal criminal charges. They've faced state criminal charges uh, in the past and had them tossed out. They've never been convicted of uh, of any crime, but yet the government seems to keep coming after them uh, again and again. And of course, like I said, so violated their right to a free trial or a fair trial, rather, that the federal judge said we have to stop this trial in its in its tracks because they keep going over the line and trying to attribute criminality uh, and a heinous criminality for child sex trafficking to the defendants. And there's no evidence to suggest that they they did that and they haven't been charged with that. It's a feature, Mark, I find uh, I observe throughout uh, prosecutorial and political appointees discussion of charges in the area of sex crimes because they are, uh, you know, it's such a hero's cape to wear, right? To protect the vulnerable, to yeah. protect the children. So if you say, you know, we're going to put some 50 year old lady in a cage who'd rather sell her body than bust tables at a Denny's, you know, that doesn't play as well with the political uh, people who put them in office than saying, here's this victimized teenager who we're protecting from these ogres who would, you know, exploit her. And so <laughs> that's the narrative they run with, even if it's not true, like in the case of Mr. Lacey and Larkin. And one does wonder, um, did it contribute to his uh, to his suicide, of course? I believe that there's a Kamala Harris involvement in this initial prosecution, isn't there? Well, Kamala Harris prosecuted both of the men for pimping or uh, pandering, promoting prostitution criminally under state law in California, and those charges were thrown out and as an attack on the First Amendment. Uh, Now, these people established a website that was a competitor to Craigslist uh, in the early 2000s. That's how they got their start. And it was fueled by the success of Uh, those classified ads, and commercial sex advertising. Now, when I say commercial sex advertising, I use those terms advisedly, Mark, because uh, prostitution is something that is a component of uh, commercial sex advertising, but not all commercial sex advertising is prostitution uh, or is forbidden by law. And uh, Mr. Lacey and Larkin, uh, well, now it's just uh, uh, Mr. Lacey, I guess, who is the active criminal defendant, has always maintained that they never uh, uh, took ads on purpose that promoted prostitution. They were aware they were taking ads, of course, that uh, were commercial sex, uh, you know, industry ads, but not the actual prohibited acts of prostitution. And a close examination of those ads reveals that oftentimes they aren't about prostitution. Uh, and there's a, a huge universe of permissible legal commercial sexual activity that falls short of prostitution that one is allowed to make money off of advertising. Uh, and that's what they did. It, it seems strange that 10 years worth of government effort would go against this when there has been uh, so many setbacks to the government's case. And then you, you look at, for example, I'm not saying that the government's playing favorites or that 
prosecution is political, which of course every prosecution is. But you look at the amount of um, child sexual exploitation that takes place on platforms like Facebook uh, and the the other social media platforms and even the more centralized ones. Uh, And yet we don't hear about a 10-year crusade against people who may be making money from those platforms. The facts seem to suggest it's remarkably political. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Larkin uh, started this alternative chain of newspapers. Uh, that's how he got his start. Lacey and Larkin, uh, Larkin was the publisher and Lacey was the editor. That's sort of how the team got started. And then they started to make a ton of money off of these classified ads. Uh, but they were fueling journalistic enterprises. To be clear, this wasn't yeah. a group of people that were just interested in profiting off of near prostitution, commercial sex trafficking or something you know, along those lines. They did hard-hitting independent journalism, uh, and one of the, their targets was uh, John McCain, by the way. They, so they're Arizona-based, and they yeah. started locally. Um, and, uh, for instance, Joe Arpaio, they were responsible for Sheriff many. Joe. Yeah. Sheriff Joe, America's sheriff. They were responsible for many of the revelations of his disgraceful conduct, feathering his own nest and violations of uh, civil rights of those who were his political enemies, and the same for uh, John McCain, and also the the funny business with uh, McCain's wife and her drug uh, sort of conviction that you know she was allowed to basically plead to a uh, a slap on the wrist for stealing drugs in a way that uh, defendants who were not highly connected would not have been, and they reported on these things and exposed them, and they allege that these political figures wanted them prosecuted. And here's what we know, Mark. The, the lawyers who aren't politicians at the Department of Justice wrote a memo that said, don't prosecute these guys. They said they're actually helping the cause for child sex trafficking victims. And the reason why is because they were remarkably responsive to requests for investigative help by the FBI. They had like a button that said, like, report this listing for uh for somebody who maybe appear underage. And they had their own internal policies. This is the DOJ saying this, Mark. The DOJ said that they were they erred on the side of caution with uh, displaying ads that may have featured underage individuals, for instance. Well, that's we we will keep following this when it eventually does get to trial, assuming anybody's left by the time it does. uh, And we'll see what the Department of Justice has to say about it this time around. Now, Scott, very quickly, I'd just like to broach one more topic with you, and that's uh, Elon Musk uh, offering to pay the legal fees of anybody who's lost their job or being downgraded because of liking or their activities on Twitter. What is he on about? He can't be entirely serious, can he? If you were unfairly treated by your employer due to posting or liking something on this platform, we will fund your legal bill. No limit. Please let us know. That is, that is the, the text that is of bold. the tweet. That is a bold Mark, it's, it's It's almost like I'm surprised it hasn't been deleted by now because uh, certainly the, the requests are going to come in in, in a deluge. And just for anybody who's, who's reading it, um, you know, in the first week of law school and contracts class, uh, you'll learn that the, uh, the, the establishment of a contract depends on the meeting of the minds, which is to say that both people have agreed uh, for a thing. And this does not include a meeting of the minds. If you were fired, Elon Musk is not doesn't have the legal obligation now to pay your bills. 
But I think it's a great shot across the bow for some larger employers. Um, you know, he may uh, he has shown a willingness to to kind of put his money where his mouth is with with free speech uh, with the platform, and he has hired some remarkable you know free speech stalwart lawyers. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see where what happens. Get your popcorn ready. Uh, and wait for Donald Trump to claim his legal fees from, uh, <laughs> from Elon Musk. Uh, Scott DeCasenza, thanks ever so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. And that's about all we have time for on this week's edition of Liberty Nation Radio, heard coast to coast across the Radio America network. I'd like to thank our guests for today, Mr. Tim Donner, Andrew Moran, and Scott DeCosenza, Esquire. And of course, my thanks to you, the listeners, for taking the time to join us here on the show. We'll be back next week with a special edition. Make sure to tune in. Thanks a lot. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.